and welcome to This Girl Cam, where we chat to wonderful women doing fabulous things in pharma. I'm Liv Nixon, and today I'm talking to Debbie Young, Multi-Channel Strategy and Customer Insights Director at Otsuka Europe. Before joining Otsuka, Debbie spent 25 years at AstraZeneca, beginning her career in data analytics and then moving into oncology sales after quite suddenly losing her dad to cancer. It's clear her purpose at that time was to understand the people involved in making decisions about patients, and that has driven her in her work ever since. Passionate about people, her team, and making time for people that matter, Debbie describes herself as someone who wears her heart on her sleeve, and it's easy to see how she's established the relationship she has throughout her career. Let's get going. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Very happy to be here. So to kick us off, Debbie, would you mind telling myself and the listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. So Debbie Young, I'm Digital Strategy Director for Otsuka Europe. I've been in the pharmaceutical industry for 28 years now, so pretty much grown up in the industry and 25 years of that was with AstraZeneca. It's a a little bit about me personally. So I'm married. Husband's also in the industry as well. So it's a very heavily discussion pharmaceutical house. I, I have a stepson who's 22 years old and son who is 11 years old. And very recently in the last year and a half, got a pandemic pet. So we got a Labrador called Frank, who's a great addition to the family. Oh, oh, that's lovely. I bet your 11 year old loves him, doesn't Absolutely. He? Yeah, we all do. Really. <laughs> So you talked then about the fact that you're at Suka now and you left AZ after 25 years. That must have been quite a difficult move. It was a difficult move, both personally and professionally, actually. I, as I said, I grew up at AstraZeneca and I, I very much felt like part of the furniture. Knew everyone, knew everything about the organisation and how it worked. I guess there comes a point in everyone's career where you have to make a move, a personal move for the right reasons. It was time for me to leave the organization. I had an opportunity through redundancy to take a bit of time out, actually, which I'm really grateful for. Having spent 25 years working, and I'm unfortunately one of those people that even sometimes work when I'm on holiday, to just have a few months to reset and spend time with family and spend a lot of time with my friends, actually, which was really nice. And came back ready to start off with a new challenge and that new challenge was with Otsuka Europe and and everybody always says when you leave an organization after such a long time you're a little bit worried about what the future might look like but Mm -hmm. my advice to anyone that's in this position is you always end up in a better place and a lot of people that I speak to that have been through very similar things I think we're all a little bit concerned a big group of us left AstraZeneca at the same time but I'm so much happier now than I was in the last few years at AstraZeneca so it's been a really positive move for me. Yeah, it's sometimes it's so important. It's always scary, isn't it? But when you get there, and you say once you're settled in, so it must be such a change in terms of because it's just a, it's a smaller organisation, isn't it? So it must feel so different. Yes and no. So I was AstraZeneca UK and I'm Otsuka Europe. Mm-hmm. So actually, the volume of people that I interact with is very similar to the people that I interacted with previously. But obviously, my remit is greater. I'm loving being in a European role and, you know, learning about other cultures and how other countries work, especially when you're in this a transformation space and you're trying to drive change and a mindset shift in the organisation. You really need to think differently when you're talking to different countries and cultures. Yeah, 
That's fascinating. We might come back to that, actually, because I find that part of it really interesting in terms of just how you sometimes have to adapt your approach in different cultures as well. Just before we get to that, would you mind taking me back a little bit further? Did you always want to go into pharma? What was your path into this world? Just fell into it, actually. So I wanted to be a physiotherapist and ended up um, through every part. If I reflect, a lot of things in my career have happened because of personal reasons. So I was going to go to uni and my dad unfortunately fell ill and I ended up just getting a job to stay at home for take a year out, basically. And that job was at Astro Pharmaceuticals. I wasn't looking in pharma. It just happened to be a job that was available local to where I lived. And I loved it. And once I felt like I was on that career ladder and I'd been promoted within the first year, the people were amazing. And I already felt that it was the place where I felt I could learn and develop and grow. And, and I was earning money. I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to go somewhere where I was going to start going into debt. So I thought, why not just stick it out? And yeah, and then obviously stayed there for 25 years. And you met your husband in the industry as well. So tell me, tell me about what it was like going on maternity leave. You had that period of time. Did you have much time off? Did you have a full year or, and what was it like coming back and adapting? Uh, to life as a parent in the role that you were in? So I was actually, at the time when I was pregnant, I was a the equivalent of a first-line shield manager. So I managed, I had a team of 10, I think, or 11, covering the south of the country much. And my son decided to come seven weeks early. So we were really unprepared, I think. Not just me and my husband, but me and my work situation were really not prepared for that at all. So unfortunately, it meant I went on maternity leave much earlier than I'd planned to. But when I reflected during my maternity leave, I kind of knew that I didn't want to cover half the country. I knew how difficult that would be for us as a family if I was overnight, like one or two nights a week. And even the days, usually I was in the field three days a week. And even in the days where it was commutable for me to drive, I would have still left really early in the morning and not got back to late yeah. at night. A job came up in the office as kind of like the equivalent of a national manager, really. First line field managers would report into that role. And I thought really, it's a really good opportunity for me to do something a little bit different, but also be more office-based because the office is quite close to home. That meant coming back from maternity leave a little bit earlier than I'd planned, actually. So I came back after six months, but I came back into a really fantastic job with a great team who I already knew the transition back to work was much easier, really. That's interesting that it was actually a more senior role as well. So on paper, you'd be like, oh, you're taking on more with a six-month-old baby. <laughs> but I suppose if you had a team that you knew when you felt comfortable, you were ready for the role. Yeah. It was just the right time. And as I say, I knew AstraZeneca so well and I knew the people. I had a great support network, a great manager at the time who was really supportive and really understanding about my situation. So no, it was, and I think, He'd missed me quite a lot while I'd been on maternity leave. So I think he was quite grateful for me to be back as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what do you think are your main drivers then when you look for different roles? I think it's changed, actually. So I think I mentioned earlier that as I reflect, a lot of the career changes that I've made have been because of personal situations. My, I joined AstraZeneca or Astra because of a personal situation. I... My dad was diagnosed with cancer and I was so interested in why clinicians chose to treat certain patients differently and what their thought process was. And so I went into oncology sales just to learn a little bit more about and to meet consultants. Unfortunately, my dad passed away, but it was probably 
the job that really defined me as an individual, showed how inquisitive I could be and how much I could learn and how important relationships are to me. Because sales can be a lonely life, but and I knew I needed to really build relationships and make friends with the people that I was going to be seeing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. But yes, I went into sales for a bit, went back into the office, into, into an IT role. And then I was fortunate enough to, when they started looking at innovative ways to engage with healthcare professionals. They wanted somebody who had experience of sales, of data and analytics and of IT. And in my time at AstraZeneca, I had the fortunate opportunity to be involved in all of those areas. I moved into a new area of the business looking at um, customer engagement and customer experience. So really, really grateful for that move. Obviously, then my son came along and I had another bit of a shift change in terms of my, my career. And similarly, when the redundancy opportunity came up, again, it meant that I had an opportunity presented by personally to go and do something a little bit different. I think with, Ots with Otsuka, the pandemic has actually had a big impact on, on my work and how I think about work. And I was previously always dropping my son off really early in the morning and picking him up late at night. He was the breakfast club and after school club boy. And yeah. then the pandemic hit and we were working from home a lot more. And I had a realization that I hadn't actually dropped my son off at school. He had always gone to breakfast club. I hadn't met any of the mums at the school gate and had no relationship with his friends, parents, really. So that really gave me an opportunity and to spend a little bit more time with him in the mornings and after school. Although lockdown was the worst time for my homeschooling, literally yeah. the worst thing ever. I, I realized that day that we were asked to start homeschooling for three hours a day that I was never going to make a teacher. But yeah. I'm motivated by people. I'm drawn to organizations and teams that where there's a challenge and where there's an opportunity for me to solve a problem or encourage people to think about things differently. But the biggest thing for me is who I work with. And that's why I stayed at AstraZeneca for so long, actually. It was the people that I worked with that really made a difference for me. And the reason I found it so hard to leave was the people. I felt like I was letting my team down by leaving them, but they've all been absolutely fine without me. Where I am in Otsuka, I'm surrounded by fantastic people who motivate me every day to work on a solution that can help our organization function better. It's a really happy place. You talked a bit about a manager that had supported you. Have you had, do you have particular mentors, internal or, or external, that have supported you throughout your career? Generally, I reach out to people on a situation or needs basis. So if I think back through my career, clearly I've had leaders who have inspired me to be a better version of myself. I, if I think back to when my dad was like dying with cancer, I remember very clearly, my manager at the time, I remember going into the office and him just turning me around and telling me to go home or go to the hospital and said, work and wait. And there are more important things in life that I needed to focus on at that time. And that gave me the opportunity to see the last few weeks of my dad, which I would never have been given that opportunity. But, you know, what it was obviously massively important to me at the time, but it's also made me reflect on that and be able to do the same for people that have worked for me and because I knew how much it meant to me and I know how much it would mean to other people so when I think it makes you more thoughtful and I think that's what inspires me about working for people that if I see great things in people and I want to be like them or for people to see me as even close to being like those people then fantastic but equally I've had some really terrible bosses but I think 
they also make you the person you are as well because you never want to be like that person and you never want it and you know that you never want anybody to be made to feel that you were made to feel by that person so anything you can do personally to avoid that I think is also really helpful so whilst at the time they're not very pleasant situations to go through I think it it builds us and makes it makes me a better manager it makes me a better leader is it something that you share openly what you went through with your dad or is it yeah, a little bit. Different. No, God, no. I always, um, you know, I I would probably describe myself as always wearing my heart on my sleeve. I'm a bit of an emotional wreck sometimes. But no, I do share personal situations and personal stories because I think it helps people get to know you better as a person, understand yeah. what makes you tick and how you think and feel. And I think it makes you, I think it makes people see the real you. We're all human at the end of the day. We've all, we all have feelings or those so talk to me a little bit about any workplace bias or what are your thoughts on where we are as an industry with that and where we need to go? Yeah, I, I haven't really, God, I say I haven't really experienced it. An interesting one that I experience quite often now from a digital transformation perspective is everybody thinks millennials must be digital. We must recruit young people into these jobs because they know technology better than anybody else. And actually, that's not my experience at all. I think, certainly if I look at sales representatives, a lot of our sales representatives have fantastic relationships with customers. And in order to engage with their customers in the most appropriate way, they're willing to learn and take on new skills and capabilities. And I've seen a huge transition from people that have been in the industry, in sales representatives for 15, 20 years, really embrace technology. So it does frustrate me a little bit that everyone thinks that it's the younger people that are going to be fantastic with tech because that's not always the case. No, absolutely. Again, it's that, it's a total prejudice really, isn't it? It's just that assumption. Yeah. I think one of the things that I have to, I, that I do struggle with is affinity bias. I, I really have to not try and work with and recruit people that are like me. Easy thing to do when you're interviewing is you're drawn to people that are like you. And of course, you'd have a lovely work, potentially work relationship, but it doesn't challenge you and it doesn't bring the diversity that you need in a team to encourage a team to think differently and behave differently and be really successful. Quite often, I have to really ask myself what I really need when I'm recruiting a role and who would be the best person for the role, not the best person for me to manage, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So talk to me more about your European work and you touched on it earlier a bit about adapting your approach for different cultures. Tell me some of the things that you've found or learned while you've been doing this role. Firstly, communication skills. Us Brits talk very quickly. We talk loud and fast. <laughs> So I've, I've really learned how to communicate more effectively, slowing my pace down and really really being able to articulate what's in it for somebody, understanding their situation and their environment, not just telling people, everybody the same story because it's a story I want to tell, but understand certain countries' situation, why they work the way they work and how they may be able to be a little bit more effective if they look at the technology that's available to them or think of certain situations where tech may be able to support the org that particular country or the organization. So if I, and one example is our DAC region, the, the German, Austria and Switzerland teams, you know, they're 
to say they're a little bit behind from a tech perspective is, is an understatement. And I thought the UK was quite quite far behind, but who knew that fax machines were um, a way of communicating um, in the DAC region? But no. yes. <laughs> so me standing on a stage talking about engaging with customers digitally and sending emails and there's no point me starting at that level when actually what's happening on the ground is we're sending faxes to people or we're posting materials to them and then we're calling them on a the telephone to talk them through it. So really, really have to take a step back and understand, you know, why a certain behavior or attitude was being taken within that organization and what was that being driven by? And are there any people in the organization that would be willing to try something different and just do mini pilots so that other people can then just watch what happens and see if we can start to make a shift change. And that's what's happened, actually, in the DAC region. We've slowly started to move away from more traditional ways of engaging with healthcare professionals to, to ways in which other parts of the world have been doing it for the last few years, certainly during the pandemic. A lot of organisations made that shift change, but we still struggled in certain countries. So back to the UK in particular, well, I suppose your whole region, but what's on your agenda now in terms of that digital innovation and the change what do you think are the next big steps that you need to make in the industry What's i mean i think all pharmaceutical companies are striving towards a place where it's the biggest buzzword ever and i hate it but omnichannel is the word that a lot of people talk about and for me what does that actually mean omnichannel is data-led activities if you think of netflix Netflix knows, it puts us all into little buckets and data algorithms say people like you are watching movies like this and they present you with data that you, or movies that you might be interested in. And I think all are trying to get to a place where we can segment our customers appropriately, not based on what we want to segment them on, but based on the information that they want to receive and the way in which they want to receive it from our industry. And once they're segmented effectively, we're then able to say, people like you are interested in content like this. And is this something you would like to consume as well? We're very much focused today on rep orchestrated activities and not really able to understand where healthcare professionals go online and what content they're consuming because very well as an industry. I think in terms of where I hope to get to, it was always a five-year plan in Otsuka and I'm at year three, so it's the clock is ticking. But I do think we're in a really good place now from a customer segmentation, from a thinking about the con breaking the content down into bite-sized chunks rather than sending an email that has every possible piece of information a customer might want to know about that product to allow them to pick the information that's relevant to them so that we can understand more about what is of interest to our customers so that they decide the story we tell them, not us. Yeah. Okay, going on a go back on to broader scale. We've talked about the things that motivate you and when you make a change and it can often be down to your personal circumstances or something that's happening in your life. You shared with me about your dad and I think that sort of speaks to the importance of a purpose for you when you were referring to when you got into oncology sales and you were obviously successful in that role. You had such a good reason why, didn't you, with all that going on yeah. with your dad. If you look at the bigger picture and your career as whole, when do you think you will feel like you've, you have success for whatever that means? That's a really good question. I don't know if I know the answer to. I've 
felt like I've achieved success in many of the roles that I've done already. And I, I don't think I would have moved on from that role had I not felt that I did it to the best of my ability or I was the best that I could have been in that role. If I think back to the sales rep role, I built some fantastic relationships with healthcare professionals who I'm still friends with today. And but it was time for me to go and do something different. And I knew that. I knew that I was ready to be stretched in a different way. I think, I think if I reflect on where I am today, I've always had huge respect for people that say, ultimately, that's the job they want to do. I want to be managing director of company or whatever. I've never had an aspiration like that. I've gone through my career thinking, oh, that'd be quite nice. So I'd be quite interested in doing that. And I think I could learn a lot or I think I could be successful in that area. And I think in the space where I've landed now, so in the last 10 to 12 years in the trans digital transformation space, I think, I think it's where I'm happiest. In Otsuka, I feel very much a, a significant part of the business and our marketeers are really embracing all like, or digital channels, all channels that are available to them. Our medics are really keen to understand how digital technology works and how to best approve content. And, uh, and our field teams are really embracing it as well. So we've moved from a place where a small handful of representatives are delivering a lot of the digital activities, whereas you can see in the data and what we're seeing is many more representatives are now having that real balance or the hybrid role where they can offer their customers whatever the customer wants. I'm driven by the people around me. But clearly, I thrive on exceeding goals. If I set out to do something, I will do my best to make sure that I've got the right people around me and we've always got our eye on the goal. So the five-year goal in Otsuka is, is a key part of any presentation I deliver. I make the organization very clear that this is the journey we're on and this is where we are in the journey. This is where we're heading towards. And I look forward to achieving that. But I don't know what will be, ha what will be next after that. We have, we've talked about the personal circumstances that led up to where you are today and the impact that they've had on your career. Would you, so on this show, we talk a lot about sliding doors. Would you talk to me about perhaps one of your most pivotal moments? Do you ever consider what your life would have looked like if you'd have gone a different route at one point? What was my sliding door moment? As I mentioned, there's probably been quite a few of them. Had I university and been a physiotherapist, I'm sure my life would be very different to how it is today. If my dad hadn't been diagnosed with cancer, I would never have gone into the commercial sales side of the business and moved away from the analyst area that I was in. I think the birth of my son was quite a pivotal moment in my life, not just the fact that I became a mum, but I, I had something called help syndrome when my son was born, which is basically the stage beyond preeclampsia. I was in intensive care or my internal organs shut down. I had a moment where I had internal bleeding. I was, I went into surgery and I may not have made it. My husband had to sign a, a disclaimer to say that my organs could be used if I didn't make it through the operation. And I think all of those things, I think, make you think differently about life and the people around you. And I realized as I lay in hospital, actually, before, before I came out and started my maternity leave, how important my friends and family were to me and how I'd probably focus so heavily on work that I didn't really put enough 
time and effort and energy into the people that actually really meant a lot to me. And as soon as I, I came out of hospital, I really spent a lot of time with friends and family and just reconnecting. And that's continued since. That's probably my biggest sliding door moment. My realization that my work-life balance really wasn't well balanced at all. And having my son and having gone through that life changing situation, I think made me realize how important people were to me. So do you think now since that point that you've put in the changes that you need to do and do you feel that you've done that I now? do yes I do As you have to keep reminding yourself actually I sometimes even put reminders in my calendar to make sure that I reach out to certain friends or it's funny because the pandemic we all went obviously went into lockdown and lived in our little bubbles for a period of time and I think a lot of families realize that actually you can engage with people virtually. I guess it's the world that I live in at work yeah. anyway. To be able to talk to grandparents uh, or get even get grandparents onto FaceTime, yeah. I think it's been a yeah. fantastic thing. And it's, uh, it's meant that these connections can happen more frequently and you can see people. And I make more efforts now than I've ever made before. I, previously, I think, oh, do I really want to drive two hours or three hours to a party? Um, full of people I don't know and just my cousins are going to be there. And I think, yes, I do, actually, because I've not seen them for years. I do make a huge effort. But and I'm really pleased to say that, you know, I think it's. Um, I, I don't have any regrets. No, that's fantastic. So true. And actually, I think about the time during the pandemic and I had loads of virtual meetings and chats, meetings like social gatherings on zoom or whatever and i actually saw more mm. of people that that i wouldn't have seen before and sometimes the cast don't, don't know what i have stopped doing it again and you're right you need to sometimes think oh, that that was actually one of the really good things that happened during the pandemic that we need to i, I could certainly do we're getting back to i do have one more question for you what advice would you go back and give to yourself as a teenage girl now if you could god i don't know actually I feel like I've had, as we just discussed, I've had so many pivotal things happen in my life that have made me reflect on the situation that I'm in, that I think I've done quite a good job of pivoting or making the changes that I need to make to focus on the important things or the things that I think are important in life. I would probably the biggest bit of advice I would give to myself is don't waste your time with people that don't make you feel the best that you can be. I think I did a lot of that because I just wanted to be liked by people. And naturally, I probably wasted a lot of my time, even my career and some friends that weren't really friends that I would say to myself, surround yourself with people that make you feel good and the people that you know are going to make you be the best version of yourself. It sounds like you've definitely found that now. I have. It's taken many years. but Yeah, good for you. And actually talking about success, I suppose one of the important things is to recognise when you've got it and celebrate that because everything that you've said, Debbie, it sounds like you've made some really important changes and you've got the balance right in your life. And it takes something to see that and recognise it. I, th I think it's about um, taking the negative situations that happen in your life and taking something from it because I think there's... A always something we yeah. can do to better ourselves and yeah I think I've been fortunate although not in every situation I've been fortunate to have that time to reflect and my dad he kind of my work when he was diagnosed with cancer that 
was probably the most, the thing that impacted me most in life. It made me realize how precious life is and how important it is that you treat people the way that you'd want to be treated yourself. And you have honest conversations with people because I, I didn't with him. He died and there were so many things I wish I'd said that I didn't say. And I would never want that situation to ever happen again. If you're, Previously, if I'd had an argument with somebody, I'd be like, oh, whatever, just get out of my face. But now I think, yeah. what if I never talk to that person yeah. again? What if that's the last thing, that uh, last conversation that we ever have? I went through a period where I just wanted to say sorry to people. If, if I ever did or said anything that hurt you or upset you, or that was never my intention at all. And, um, you know, and I think it's things like that have helped me feel that I've got no, there's nothing in my past now that I regret. I don't know. I just right. feel like I can just look forward because I know that, you know, this way. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you've wiped yeah. the slate clean, almost, I suppose, by going through that process. I'm going to have to let you go, aren't I? Thank you so much, Debbie. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are this week in particular. Oh, so you're thank welcome. You. It's been lovely talking to you. And that's it from me for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet and you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe or hit follow. It makes a huge difference. You can now also join This Girl Cam as a member where you'll get invited to join recording sessions, regular mentions on the show and discounted or even free tickets to some of our live events that we've got coming up. To find out more, head to patreon.com thisgirlcam. As always, go to thisgirlcam.com to see this interview in print and to find out who my guest is next week. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all under This Girl Cam. Thanks again, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you.